0: From WDEV Radio, fast-paced. It's like a good two-minute drill. We are just boom, 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 right down the field. Opinionated. It's okay to admit the Red Sox didn't have much of a choice but to trade Mookie Betts. To the point. There's
1: no better option for the Patriots than Cam. They have to re-sign moving forward. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVRadio.com.
0: What's up everybody? It is Friday. I'm Brady Farkas right here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We have made it to day five. We are an hour and a half away from the end of our first week. I am grateful, humbled, appreciative of the response so far. Um, I continue to look at the podcast numbers just to kind of gauge where things are at and uh, You guys are out there. You're listening a lot. You're listening to everything that we do on this show, all the interviews, and again, grateful, humbled, and appreciative. If you ever miss any of the show, you can find that podcast on wdevradio.com. You can also find it on your favorite podcast player like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. So We put up the full show, and we put up the big interview every single day separately, so you can hear... Uh, Just the interview or the whole show. So Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus is going to hop on at 545 to help us get ready for Patriots Bills Week 8 as a whole. If you want to interact with the show, you can, as always, by reaching out to me on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. If you think I'm brilliant or you think I'm a moron, either one, you can get in your voice and that uh, will make you part of the show also. The show is sponsored by the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston's Kia is family-owned and operated, and they will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. All right, let's start here. Patriots are taking on the Bills on Sunday, and this version of the Patriots, what we've seen the last couple of weeks, with Brian Hoyer, Jared Stidham, and Cam Newton, they've all played, right? Hoyer started against Kansas City, Stidham came in. Cam started against Denver and then started against San Francisco, was benched, and then Stidham came in. This version of the Patriots is the worst quarterback situation in the league. As it stands right now, with what we have seen over the last nearly a month, the Patriots have the worst quarterback situation in the league. There are other teams with bad situations. There are other teams with bleak situations. There is no team with as bad or as bleak a situation right now as the New England Patriots. Now, maybe Cam Newton comes out and plays really well on Sunday, and and on Monday this isn't the case. But for right now, this is the worst QB situation in the league. Look, I know Brady, Jacksonville's horrible, they're bad. I'm not crazy about Gardner Minshew and Mike Glennon, better than what the Patriots are showing right now. I'm not a huge fan of Minnesota with Kirk Cousins and his backup Sean Mannion. Kirk Cousins, the, the the Patriots quarterback situation makes Kirk Cousins look like Peyton Manning. That's how bad it's been in New England. Now Dallas is in a really bad spot because of the injury right now to Dak Prescott and Andy Dalton. They're starting somebody named Ben DiNucci this week against Philadelphia. It sounds like uh, uh, the maker of a mustard or something. It sounds like something uh, the maker of a, a sauce I should put on my chicken wings. Oh yeah. That's uh, the mild sauce by Ben Denucci. That's what it sounds like. It's bad. But when it's normalized and they have Dak and Dalton and Denucci, it's still better than what the Patriots have. This is how bad it's been. L- listen to this. This is how bad it's been. The Patriots have thrown three touchdowns this year. They have played six touchdowns games, in a now pass-first league, in a league where now the passing game is the most important part of your offense, and it's not even close, the Patriots have thrown an average of half a touchdown per game. Three touchdowns in six games. And they were behind against Kansas City. Thought maybe they could get some garbage time stuff. Not really. Got a got one from Stidham to Nikhil Harry. That was it. Oh, they were down late, had to pass a lot against Denver. Nope, couldn't do it. Down big against San Francisco. Ah, San Francisco might just hang back and let them waltz down the field in the fourth quarter and make it kind of respectable. Nope, couldn't get a touchdown. That's how bad it's been. The Patriots, by the way, that and the, they've thrown 11 interceptions. 11 interceptions. Three touchdowns, 11 picks. That touchdown-to-interception ratio is the third worst through six games in the last 20 years. Let me repeat that. Their touchdown-to-interception ratio, three touchdowns to 11 picks, is the third worst through six games in 20 years. This organization has won six Super Bowls in 20 years, and right now they're talking about being one of the three worst passing teams in the NFL through six games in the last 20 years. In the last 20 years, they were one of the three worst passing games, essentially, in the NFL. And now... On Cam, he can't even run. Cam Newton this year is averaging not even four yards on his own design rushes. He's only ever finished once under four yards. When they give him the ball and the play is for him to run, he is averaging less than four yards a carry. Not necessarily a scramble, not an improv improv play. When it's called for him to run, he's averaging less than four yards a carry. He's only done that once in his career, and that was in 2013. It's been a long time since Cam Newton couldn't be a runner, and he has not been a runner either. He has not run well in the last couple of weeks, really since week two against Seattle. They were okay against Vegas in a game that they won, but he wasn't all that great either. The Patriots, as it stands, heading into week eight, have the worst quarterback situation in the league. The worst quarterback situation in the league. And Nick Wright of Fox Sports 1 said that, In like This was before they got Cam. He said it like in early July, and I didn't think he was right. And somehow he's become right, and they've added Cam Newton. That shows you how bad Cam Newton has played. All right, let's get to something we're going to do every single Friday. Time for you to – it's 5 o'clock somewhere, right? It's 5.36 now. Time for you to crack open one. This is our six-pack of NFL questions as we head into week number eight. So here we go. Let's get the music up there. Here we go, our six-pack of questions. The game that intrigues me the most around the NFL, that's 6-0 and Pittsburgh at 5-1 and Baltimore. Look, it's always a good game. It's a divisional rivalry. You've got a game that we a battle for first places on the line, 6-0 and Pittsburgh, 5-1 and Baltimore. So John Harbaugh joined the Ravens back in 2008. Since 2008, the average margin of victory in a Steelers-Ravens game is just over seven points. That's the lowest of any divisional matchup in the NFL. The lowest the lowest point differential, the lowest margin of victory of any divisional matchup in the NFL since 2008, that's a long sample size, is Steelers-Ravens. It's going to be fast. It's going to be physical. I'm interested to see how Pittsburgh continues to try to limit Lamar Jackson because he has regressed as a passer over the, the last couple of weeks of this season. Ben Roethlisberger's found the fountain of youth, and going up against that Ravens defense, it's going to be a tough task too. These are these teams are one-two in defensive efficiency. Ravens lead the league in scoring defense. Steelers lead the league in total defense. I don't know how they're going to stop each other. Ben to Chase Claypool has looked elite. Quarterback to wide receiver. Lamar Jackson's running threat is always elite. J.K. Dobbins, Mark. I mean, they've gotten some. They've had production out of good running backs this year. They've always had a good running game. 1 2 defensive matchup. AFC North. Weather getting colder. This is going to be a battle, and it's going to be a good one. First place on the line. Now we move to number two. This is what I call the 90 day fiance game. The 90 day fiance game. The reason why so. There's a television show on TLC called 90 Day Fiance, and these couples meet, and they have 90 days to, to, to get married. Oftentimes, one of them is going for a visa in a foreign country, so they have 90 days to solidify the relationship so that one partner or one half of the relationship can get the visa. It's riveting reality television. I wouldn't ever choose it over NFL games, but in this case, I have the 90 Day Fiance game, so a.k.a. the worst game on the schedule. To me, that's Sunday Night Football. 90 Day Fiance's new episodes are on Sunday night. I'm gonna watch it rather than watch Sunday night football this weekend between the Cowboys and the Eagles. Oh, what a dreadful matchup this is. Two under five hundred teams out of the NFC East. The Cowboys have allowed the Cowboys have allowed two hundred and forty-three points, their most through seven games in franchise history. They've trailed by fourteen points in six consecutive games. Uh that's their second longest streak since nineteen sixty-one. They've committed a ton of turnovers. It's been awful. There, They've committed the most turnovers in the league and forced the fewest takeaways. They are <laughs> minus 13 in turnover differential the Dallas Cowboys are. Ugly football. And Carson Wentz for the Eagles isn't playing much better. League high, 12 turnovers this season. He's got 10 interceptions this year. That's tied for most in the league. And I, Earlier in the, in the show, I called him Ben DiNucci as the quarterback for the Cowboys. It's wrong. Somebody named Brett DiNucci. I don't even. I can't even remember the guy's name. If I don't know your quarterback, I'm watching 90 Day Fiance over you. Under 500 teams that both turn the ball over a lot with a quarterback I've never heard of, I'm out. I'm not. I'm not watching that game Sunday Night Football. I'd rather hear about what's going on with Ari and Bin Yam, and I'd rather know what's going on with uh, with Tim and Melisa, and I'd like to see what's going on with. Kenny and Armando and their relationship. I mean, this is the 90-day fiancé is far better than Cowboys-Eagles. Zero interest. Checked out completely. And an early bed night for me on Sunday. I don't need to stay up until midnight watching Sunday Night Football because I'm not watching Brett DeNucci play in primetime, and I'm not watching Carson Wentz throw interception after interception and the Cowboys turn it over a league-high 16 times and be down by double digits. No thank you. Question three in our six pack of NFL questions. The player I want to watch most this week. This one was close. I almost went with Tua Tagovailoa of the uh, of the Dolphins against the Rams. But I'm going to go with Justin Herbert of the Chargers. Okay? Justin Herbert has thrown for 1542 yards. Second most through five career games in NFL history. Behind shockingly enough only Cam Newton back when Cam Newton could apparently complete passes. But Justin Herbert, he has been historically good in his first five games. He gets blitzed on an NFL-high percentage of his dropbacks. He gets blitzed nearly 40% of his times, or gets pressured nearly 40% of his dropbacks, most in the NFL. They're taking on uh, the Broncos this week. Both teams are 2-4. and four. Denver's got some pieces to make it interesting. Defensively, Denver stifled the Patriots, but everyone stifles the Patriots now, so... Justin Herbert, that is the guy that I want to see most. Question four, moving to the Patriots. The Patriots win on Sunday if the weather really is that bad. If the weather's really as bad as they think it is, if it's as windy as they think it might be, the Patriots can win this game. They need to force turnovers. Bad weather will help them do that. A bad weather game can limit the effectiveness of the Bills passing game with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. And the Pats can then run the ball, and this will force them to run it, which is what they do best. The weather being bad, weather is always a great equalizer, and if the Patriots can take advantage of bad weather and not be victim of bad weather, then that is how they can win this game. Question five. The Patriots lose Sunday if. The Patriots lose Sunday if. Simply put, they can't run the football. They already can't pass. The weather won't make it any easier to pass for them. The Bills are in the bottom 10 of the NFL in rush yards allowed. The Patriots are in the top 10 of the NFL in rushing yards gained. The Patriots have already had their bye, so they played one less game than a lot of teams. They're still in the top 10 of total rushing. It's their best chance to win. If they can run the football and tire out the Buffalo defense and move the ball effectively on the ground, just maybe, just maybe, they can hit a shock play in the pass game. I'm not asking for 10. I'm asking for one. And if they can hit one, then they've got an even better chance to win. But if they, bottom line, if they can't run the ball at all and have to rely on the pass game, then they're done. Question number six, our final question of our six pack of questions, the overall Patriots prediction is what? Huh. <sighs> I may be an idiot. I may be a big idiot. But I'm going Patriots 17-13. I don't know why. Nothing about the metrics, nothing about the players, nothing about what the Patriots have put on tape. I just told you they get the worst quarterback situation in the league as it plays out right now. Nothing tells me they should win. But yet I can't quit on them. It's even stupid to evaluate this game based on history. But I have a history of watching the Patriots figure it out. I have a history of watching the Patriots dominate Josh Allen and turn him over and go on the road and beat Buffalo. And Bill Belichick always beats Buffalo. History tells me they're going to win. History tells me the Patriots cannot be among the worst teams in the NFL. I might be crazy. I might be the last one on the island. I might be the only one still with the Patriots pennant going when everyone else jumps ship. But I'm not going to be the guy who gets off the Patriots bandwagon too early. I don't think they're winning the Super Bowl. They may not even make the playoffs but with their backs against the wall, everyone questioning them. They've won 3, they've lost 3 in a row. Cam's getting questioned. Edelman's out. It just feels like maybe Bill Belichick can go into Buffalo and turn the tables one more time and turn the screws on Josh Allen. 17-13 Patriots. That is my prediction. That's our six pack of NFL questions. Well, Am I crazy? We'll get the answer from Eric Eager, of Pro Football Focus, who's going to stop by, talk Pat's bills, and the NFL as a whole with us. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com.
1: Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com.
0: Welcome back to the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Getting, uh, wrapping up our first week on the air. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a week full of new announcements. And our kind of our final big announcement of the week is that every single week for the rest of the football season, we are going to be joined by Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus. Eric, thank you for being with us, man. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you? Good. I appreciate you joining us. Um, let me ask you this to start. I'm sure you saw, even if you're not a baseball fan, I'm sure you saw the analytic community get crushed over what happened with the Rays taking out Blake Snell. What is the biggest thing that you guys at Pro Football Focus have to fight against when people want to say that the, quote, nerds are ruining sports?
2: Well, the hard part is, is in baseball, the, the analytics make the game less enjoyable. You know, Mm -hmm. you get, you get more of the three, you know, true outcomes, the blocks, no one likes walks. No one likes strikeouts. People like home runs, but they're not as frequent, you know, at least in football, the analytics. So we saw last night, like Carolina missed two fourth downs and probably in many ways cost them the game but no one wants to see them punt on those fourth downs. Right. So like that, that's a good, that's something that we have that that's good. Um, You know, it's just the second guessing, but at the same time, like, I don't know, over time, you know, analytics and football, I think make the game more enjoyable. And as such, like, you know, it's, it's, it's not as as big of an uphill climb. And there's not a lot of explaining ourselves necessarily on the back end that we have to do.
0: Let me ask you this. And I, you know, you don't, again, you're not an inherent baseball guy like you are a football guy, but I'm going to ask this anyways. I was making this point yesterday. I want to see if somebody just agrees with me. I almost think pitching in baseball has gotten too good that it's led us to those three true outcomes, right? There's going to be more strikeouts because the pitchers are so good, they throw so hard. And hitters have recognized they can't hit four singles in an inning to score runs, they have to just wait for the three run homer. Whereas in football, better players has made for better and more enjoyable play. Do you see any way in which I could actually be right in this theory?
2: Yeah, I think so. (laughs) You know, the thing about football, too, is that football used to be a lot more like this, where the passing game was, you know, 55% completion, uh, you know, longer average depth of targets. And so, you know, you'd run, run, and then either your running back would hit a big run or you'd throw a ball deep on third down and get a touchdown. And, you know, football is far more of like a singles hitting game in some ways now. Whereas, like, I think of like that 10 to intermediate range, 10 to 19 intermediate range in the passing game as sort of more of like a double. Um, So it's kind of gone the other way in football where, you know, basically the way to play football now is to complete a bunch of seven to 15 yard passes and make your way down the field. And if you can stop those as a defense, you're doing pretty well. Um, It's sort of gone the other way, which is great because. You know, football used to be a lot worse when you were just waiting for Adrian Peterson or Barry Sanders to break off a 90-yard run after a string of two- or three-yard runs or, you know, conversely. I mean, you sort of saw it Monday night with the Chicago Bears where it's like if your offense can't consistently move the ball, you're just praying for a deep shot, and that doesn't really always
0: happen. You know, the Patriots are taking on the Bills, and this is really a make-or-break game for them. If they win, they can stay on the fringes of the playoff race. If they lose, they're done and might have a fire sale at the deadline. I don't need analytics to tell me the Patriots are not a good football team right now. The eye test tells me that alone. Is there anything in the analytics that should give me more hope about this team?
2: No, I mean, (laughs) the, the hard part is, you know, Cam, Cam offered a lot of hope. You know, when, when you looked at that team, you know, they really didn't do a whole lot to their offense to get better from 2019, where one of the best quarterbacks in the history of the NFL struggled to, you know, move the football. And so they take him out, they put Cam in who had some who added something in the run game, but really from a passing perspective is not anywhere near as accurate, not anywhere near as, you know, pinpoint as Brady. So I don't know what people expected. I mean, and then he comes out the first two games, plays extremely well, and we sort of let our guard down a little bit, we forget that there's, you know, still this huge void uh for them offensively. Now, defensively, assuming Gilmore can play on Sunday, I don't know if he's going to um, but you you saw the promise that they have defensively against the Chiefs. Where if you you know look at like you know Gilmore you know matched up against you know the other team's best receiver, you look at uh, you know McCordy in the middle of the field. Uh, you know they have a, the the chance to like shut down an opposing offense. And the Bills right now are not playing well on on the offensive side of the ball relative to where they were in the first four games. So there's a chance for them, but it's it's really going to be you know winning that sort of close low scoring game you know. total on this game's 41 it's the lowest of the entire weekend um you know i i think that that's their path but I, even if they beat the bills this week doing that i don't think that that
0: means that they're anywhere near close to being good long term though eric eager pro football focus with us here on the brady Farkas show wdev am and fm and wdev radio.com you know early in the year i thought cam was the guy they should resign him and now i'm kind of formulated in my mind that Cam shouldn't be on this team next year, even if he plays well for the rest of the stretch. And the reason why is, like, we think of Cam as this great athlete, and he certainly is athletic, but he's a lot more rigid than a guy like Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson. There's really no fluidity to his game. So if he's not going to hit passes at a high completion percentage, and he's not that athlete to extend plays like they do, what is he really? I think he's now closer to statue than I gave him credit for.
2: Yeah, in the passing game it's it's not fluid, you're right. I mean and and the hard part is that, you know, you need a sort of a brilliant offensive play caller and great weapons to sort of extract some of those things out of him. And when he was the last time he played well for an extended stretch of time, 2018, first half of the year, he had McCaffrey in the backfield, he had DJ Moore crossing you know, the field, you had yeah, Curtis Samuel, you really did, and Greg Olson, you had some good players, like the Patriots don't have this on their team, you know, so he's throwing passes to Demir Bird, uh, you know, they don't have a receiver who's drafted, who's going to play on Sunday, like, it, it. it's just, it's a tough task to ask him, and like I think Newton's an example of quarterback for whom everybody's wrong. The people who have always sort of thought he was a bum because for whatever reason were wrong, but the people who thought he was like this, okay, let's start paying him twenty million dollars after the first week. Like obviously that was wrong too. So I don't know. Like this team, it, 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 the the nice part about the NFL is it's so low sample that like you know Detroit last year started three and four, three four and one, and were able to get the top three pick after their quarterback got hurt. Just because New England tried this thing with Cam this year doesn't mean they can't tank. I mean, they're two and four or whatever right now. They could easily just lose the rest of the games and get a top five pick. So I thought he was a good signing, especially at that dollar price. But the the smart thing that the Patriots have done is that you know they're if they lose this week, they'll just cut bait and, and eventually you know sort of get that top pick. That I think it, to your point offers more than you know what Cam is currently doing for them at the quarterback position.
0: I can understand money valuations of positions, right? We now understand that running backs, you don't need to spend a ton of money on. And I can get on board with, you know, I'm in favor of not overpaying a wide receiver that takes up half your payroll or something. But I saw a take the other day that said, wide receivers are the most overrated position in sports and you can just plug and play. That can't be true, right? If that was true, the Patriots wouldn't be this bad offensively, right?
2: Yeah, I think wide receivers are actually like the second or third most valuable position group in the NFL because you can see, what great players at that at that position can do to an offense? You look at you know obviously Seattle's a super team. You know the two wide receivers they have you know are immense. Uh, obviously Arizona going from a team that you know won five games all of last year to five games currently with DeAndre Hopkins in the fold. Stephon Diggs has you know changed the ball, the Buffalo Bills offense. Uh, you know the struggles that the Ravens are having offensively are almost entirely because they don't have a number two wide receiver to go along with Marquise Brown. Um, you know. Minnesota has been competitive their last few games because Justin Jefferson's played well. Like, there's a number, you know, receivers can really elevate an offense and the lack thereof can really limit an offense. We saw it last year with, with the Patriots. I mean, Brady's one of the best quarterbacks in the history of the NFL and he struggled last year down the stretch because none of their guys could get open.
0: Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus with us here. At Brady Farkas, show WDEVAM and FM and dot com. Let me get you out of here on two more quick questions. I made this argument yesterday. Now that you bring up last year's Patriots, I want your take on it. Do we, they finished 12 and four, but were last year's Patriots even good? Like they did, as I go back on it, three pick sixes, four blocked punts, a lot of things that you can't replicate season to season, sometimes even week to week. Were they even that good last year, or did they have a fortunate schedule with some splash plays sprinkled in you can't really account for?
2: They were truly good defensively the whole year. The, the issue was is obviously the turnovers in the first half of the year are not repeatable in the second half of the year. I think you know teams like Pittsburgh are going to find that out this year. Um, you know Pittsburgh I think is a very similar team. Um, they might have better receivers, but like they're living off of you know really good man coverage and a and you know plus turnovers right now. Um, but no, I mean the Patriots are fine. They're not a twelve and four team and. You know, it's probably just that they ended up in the three seed as opposed to the one or two seed. But no, they're they were a good team. It was just not not good offensively, and they were mostly built off of defense, which we know year to year and even game to game is not a sustainable way to win football games. That's why, you know, you know, defense is just not the way to build a team if you want to build a
0: champion. How much blame do I put on Josh McDaniels? Because I've put a lot of blame on him. You mentioned he did a creative play caller and a good scheme. I watch what what the 49ers did to the Patriots last week. And they're clearly kind of afraid of Jimmy Garoppolo just cutting it loose, yeah. but they did things to let him be successful and allowed athletes to make plays. The Patriots, I see no creativity. and I don't know if I'm missing something or if McDaniels is what I think he is right now and not very good.
2: No, I, I mean, I think it's fair. You know, the, the thing with, you know, uh, Garoppolo's first last week in yards per attempt, but second lowest in, in uh, air yards. like So depth to target for yeah. pass attempts so it was just crazy how they were able to get the linebackers and you know new england's low on linebackers for reasons that aren't their really their fault with the opt-outs and things like that so you know they really attacked but they also have speed everywhere i mean the the difference between the patriots and the the 49ers is the the 49ers are able to get you know their lower tier players still have traits like jeff wilson's like a athletic running back you know uh jarek mckinnon same thing you know the the guy, Breida that they had before they traded the Dolphins, same thing. Like, their they're weaker players still have traits that you can exploit. New England not only has, like, unheralded players, but they have unheralded players at skill positions that aren't, like, athletic or talented. So, <laughs> it's it's not – I don't think McDaniel has a whole lot to work with. I wouldn't say that he's brilliant, but I wouldn't say that he's, like, the the worst thing that's – you know, he, he's not, you know, problem number one for this team.
0: Patriots and Bills coming up Sunday at 1. We need the Patriots to not only have better – execution but just better effort cuz uh, last week against San Francisco they really did lie down. Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus going to join us every single Friday at 5:45 to break down the Patriots and the and the week and the league as a whole for the week ahead. Eric, we appreciate it. We'll do it again next week. Thanks for having me. I Appreciate it. There he goes, Eric Eager Pro Football Focus. You can find them online at pff.com. If you're into analytics, if you're into numbers, if you're into understanding and learning more about the intricacies of the game, they are the people for you. Uh, Chris Collinsworth kind of helped jumpstart the uh, the organization, and they've really taken off. When you watch Sunday Night Football, you see pro football-focused rankings around every single player, and they're constantly referencing the numbers. They are the smartest people in football. Eric is going to join us every single Friday for the rest of the NFL season at 545. <clears throat> what we're going to do is uh, the staff's going to cut up the interview. I've already got my takeaways taken down here, so uh, we'll get that done in the course of the break. We'll take a break. We'll have our national news update from our partners at cbs news and we will be right back here with more the biggest takeaway from our interview with eric eager that's all coming up next on the brady farkas show right here on wdev am and fm and wdev radio.com and don't forget you can also stream us on the wdev app it's available for free in both the apple store and the google play store we'll be right back with those biggest takeaways
1: now it's back to the brady farkas show on wdev am fm and wdev radio.com
0: Everybody, and welcome back in. This is the Brady Parker Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and com. It is a Friday. We'll get to the future of the Vermont Lake Monsters at the end of the show, so stick around for that. We'll talk about what might be happening in Burlington and what my thoughts are on it as well. We continue on here, though. Every Friday at 545, we do our big interview. We just did it with Eric Eager, a pro football focus. He's going to join us every Friday through the rest of the NFL season, and the staff now has cut up my biggest takeaways. I've got two of them that really stuck out with me. Stuck out to me, rather, in that conversation. The first one is on Patriots offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels. I am not willing to give him a pass. I can give Cam Newton a bit of a pass because it's clear to me, right, like I can see that the players around him aren't as good, and therefore it's bringing him down. The coach, though, needs to do everything, everything he can to put his players in the best possible position to succeed. And I don't believe that we have seen that out of Josh McDaniels. We It feels like we go one step forward, two steps back. We see a couple of trick plays, and like that's it. Everybody tells me that Josh McDaniels is a genius. I hear from people, hey, Josh McDaniels almost got the Browns head coaching job, and he almost got the Panthers head coaching job, and he was offered the Colts head coaching job, and he's been a head coach in Denver before. He's supposed to be an offensive savant. I'm not seeing it. The Patriots don't appear like they are putting their players in the best possible position to succeed. I asked Eric Eager if I can give McDaniels justifiable grief. Here's what he told me about McDaniels' performance.
2: But they also have speed everywhere. I mean, the the difference between the Patriots and the the 49ers is the, the 49ers are able to get, you know, their lower tier players still have traits, like, Jeff Wilson's like an athletic running back. You know, uh, Jarek McKinnon, same thing. You know, the, the guy Brita that they had before they traded the Dolphins, same thing. Like their they're weaker players still have traits that you can exploit. New England not only has like unheralded players, but they have unheralded players at skill positions that aren't like athletic or talented. So, so
0: he's saying that the Patriots are so bad with their talent that he, that we can't fully blame McDaniels. I, I'm saying, look, I understand they might not have great players, but they are supposed to be a great scheme. They're supposed to be a great coaching staff. McDaniels is supposed to be this brilliant offensive savant. I'm not seeing it. Okay. I see teams in all sports that aren't as good as others, that don't have as good a talent, that can scheme their way to victories. Appalachian State can beat Michigan in football. You know, one A teams can go and beat FCS opponents. In March Madness, every year we see some 12-seed beat a 5-seed and a 14-seed beat a 3-seed. And I know that they don't win the championship, but they at least play hard and they have a great game plan. And I don't see that right now from the Patriots. Greg Cosell from NFL Films, he's been studying film for 40 years. He was on Fox Sports Radio yesterday, and he was talking about the 49ers as they beat the Patriots. And here is what he said about what he sees from San Francisco's offense. Listen here.
3: Jimmy Garoppolo is an extremely efficient player in a highly well-schemed offense. And we've discussed this numerous times. That's the job of a coach. The job of a coach is to create a passing game with your route concepts, your route combinations, your design to define the reads and the throws for the quarterback.
0: So there you go. Greg Cosell, who's been studying film for 40 years, he tells you that Kyle Shanahan and his staff in San Francisco have made it easy for Jimmy Garoppolo. They have put him in a position to succeed. That's the job of a coach, he says. That's the job of a coach. So, yes, the players aren't as good that New England has. Yes, Cam is not playing well. But ask yourself, ask yourself, is this great scheme that New England always has? Because remember, Tom Brady was, quote, a system quarterback. It was all about the scheme. Where is that scheme? Is that scheme putting the Patriot players in the best possible position to succeed? I would argue no. I would argue no heavily. When when Greg Cosell tells you that Jimmy Garoppolo is being taken care of by his coach and the job of a coach is to define reads for the quarterback. What have we heard about Cam Newton? He's having trouble processing. He's having trouble reading. He's ha- he's overthinking. So, what do they do in San Francisco? They they've taken that out of Jimmy Garoppolo's hands as much as possible, and they have given him the tools. And the coach has given the system and the scheme. To him, that is the best chance to maximize productivity. And the the 49ers coming into last week's game had 14 players on injured reserve. 14 players on injured reserve. At some point, when you're down to your third running back, and you're down multiple wide receivers, and you're down your great defense, at some point, you're going to get the players that don't have great talent. The coach put them in a position to be successful. Josh McDaniels as the offensive coordinator is not doing his job right now for Cam Newton or for the Patriots players. Greg Cosell tells you. He tells you. The job of a coach is to define things for his quarterback. And right now, Josh McDaniels is not doing that. It's the Brady Farkas show here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. After watching the 49ers, I mean, I'm in love with their offense. I see what they've done with more lackluster talent. I want to see some of that in New England. I mean, this is the week, right? Like, this is the the back-against-the-wall game. You don't have Julian Edelman. The weather's going to be bad. Everybody thinks that you stink. Cam Newton, they think that he stinks and might get cut. Dale Arnold WEEI this week said that Cam Newton should be cut. Whatever you've got, whatever tricks, whatever tools you have, whatever unreleased formations you've got, this is the week for it because if you go to two and five the season's over and we're just talking about draft what draft pick position you're going to get for next year. if the Patriots lose this game and go to two and five people will be calling for them to just lose out go 2 and 14 and get the number one pick. that's what's on the line here. The coaches and players don't want to go 2 and 14. Some of the fans in the front office people can say hey that'll be better long term the people going through it they don't want to go through it. So if you don't want to go through that, and you're Josh McDaniels, give me something. Show me that genius. Former 49ers defensive back, all-pro and Super Bowl champion, Eric Davis, he talked about what the 49ers do, all that pre-stamp motion, all that movement, everything that confused New England last week. He told me what it's really all about.
3: It's about discipline, man. So if yeah. you've you got a disciplined defense, it, it means nothing. If that, that may be the answer I need to give you. If, if your players are disciplined, it, it doesn't matter. I have my rules. And that's what the, that's what the formation, the jet sweeps, the misdirection. That's all you're doing. You're testing a guy's rules. If because if you if you follow the rules of defense, the integrity of the defense, you'll always end up with a body on a body.
0: Well, you know what? Let's see the Patriots test the Bills' discipline. Let's see them test what their rules are. That's what I want to see. That's what I need to see. That's what can help the Patriots. Man, look, I know they're outmanned. Julian Edelman's not playing. Nikhil Harry, concussion protocol, doesn't look like he is going to play. Isaiah Zuber is probably going to have to play significant time here. And Demir Bird and Gunnar Olszewski. I, I understand it. But you know what? Whatever you got, the kitchen sink's got to come out. It's got to come out. Brady Farkas show right here, WDEV, AM and FM and com. Biggest takeaway from our Eric Eager interview. We do that every single day at 6.05 and the full interview with Eric available as well as the full show podcast after the show online at WDEVradio.com or you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. Every Friday, I give you my Friday locks and those locks can vary in in, in content, right? Could be a fantasy projection, could be a score projection, could be a gambling prediction, could be anything that I think will have a definitive answer on by Monday. So I give you my Friday locks and we do it right now, right here on the Brady Farkas show. Well, I'm trying to find somewhere I had a,
1: uh, oh, here we go. It's good to be confident. It's not good to be cocky. The penthouse or the poorhouse We'll find out this weekend. It's time for Brady's Friday Locks on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and wdevradio.com
0: All right, we take a look at what my locks are, and here we go. Number one, the Bills will turn it over at least twice against the Patriots. Lock number one, the Bills will turn it over at least twice against the Patriots. Josh Allen has never been good against New England. He's never completed more than 50% of his passes against the Patriots. He turns it over a bunch against the Patriots. I can't unsee that. Until he beats New England, I can't stop having this perception of him. He turned it over like four or five times last year in three quarters before he got hurt in Buffalo against New England. Okay, If New England and Bill Belichick's defense can confuse Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, then they can confuse Brian Dable and Josh Allen in Buffalo. Okay, I think they can. And by the way, Allen hasn't even played that well lately. He's been the 18th highest graded quarterback over the last couple of weeks from Pro Football Focus. He's completing just 63% of his passes in that time, which is 20th in the NFL. The Bills are also 29th in the league in lost fumbles. They average nearly one lost fumble a game. So between fumbling... In between Allen's issues and history of turning it over against New England, the Bills will give away the football. And my lock number one is that they're going to give it away at least twice on Sunday. I think the Patriots are going to win the game 17-13, and I think the turnovers are going to be a big part of it. If the Patriots can limit theirs to 1 or 0, and they can take it away from Buffalo 2 or more, then that's why I think the Patriots can win this game. Moving on to number two. The Jets are going to cover the plus-20-point spread against the Kansas City Chiefs. And I'm going solely on history here because the Jets are awful. The Jets are absolutely awful. But I think the Chiefs get up early and cruise, and the Jets grab some garbage-time stuff, and I think maybe they, the final is like 35-17. Still a blowout, almost 20, but not 20 entirely. I mean, here's the history, okay? The last team to lose outright when favored by at least 19 points was in 1974. So don't bet the Jets to win. The Jets are not winning. The last team that was at least a 19-point favorite that won was 1974. Okay? And teams that have been favored by 19 or more have won 37 games in a row in the NFL. The Jets aren't winning. But... The last 88 matchups, okay, so the last 88 matchups where there was a team that was a 20 point, that at least a 19 point underdog, the underdogs are 500 and covering the spread. 43, 43, and two, and they've covered eight of the last 10. I do not, I'm not going on anything but history here. The last 10 times that a team has been at least a 19 point underdog, eight of those times they've covered. So... The, the the Chiefs might be up 35-10 and cruising, and the Jets come down the field and grab something garbage time. It's not going to be pretty. They're not going to win, but the Jets will cover the plus 20-point spread. That's where I'm going. That's lock number two. Now we move. Oh, by the way, the one of the biggest jokes I've heard from an athlete in a long time is what Chris Jones said. Chris Jones is a star defensive player for the Kansas City Chiefs. Here is what he said about the New York Jets ahead of this matchup. Chris Jones had the nerve to say that he thinks the New York Jets are a good football team, which is absolutely asinine to me. Uh, here's his exact words. Chris Jones, chief star on the Jets, not being as bad as we all think.
3: That's a very good football team, Sam Darnold.
2: Um, he doesn't get the credit, but he's a very, very good quarterback. and um, I think people tend to forget that because of their record. But they have guys out there, and they they play really well.
0: Darnold might be okay, but they have no guys. Okay, They have guys that are hurt. They have guys that are bad. They traded Le'Veon Bell. Their head coach, Adam Gase, can't get the job done either. So, no, that is what we call coach speak. It just happened to be coming from a player. The Jets are awful. You are going to wax the floor with them. I appreciate that you're being nice and respectful, and I appreciate that you are um, not trying to show a false confidence, but – The Jets are bad. Chris Jones, thank you for giving me a good laugh as I get ready for Halloween weekend. Number three, my final lock of the weekend. This one won't be definitive. I like to give definitive things. This one won't be definitive, but by Monday, we will have some real movement towards Alex Cora as the next Red Sox manager. We will have some real movement, some real weekend momentum on Alex Cora being the next Red Sox manager. Now that A.J. Hinch has been hired by the Tigers, that has opened up the precedent that someone who was suspended for the year and involved in the Astros cheating scandal can be hired. The Red Sox will take the weekend and observe what the reaction is to Hinch, and then they'll start to make their move. Most people don't care. There is a pocket group of people who hate the Astros and who hate what the Astros did to them. And the Dodgers have won their title, so they can kind of get off the Astros' hate. They won't be as loud. The Yankee fans will still be loud. The Red Sox have won a title since that, so they're not going to be too loud. So people don't care as much. NFL weekend going on. 2020 is crazy as it is. Everybody worried about coronavirus. People don't have time to worry about A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora getting hired. So when nobody really raises a huge objection to A.J. Hinch's hiring, the Red Sox will have the ability— to come in and hire Alex Cora. They're the only team hiring, so they can officially take their time. But by Monday, you will start to hear some stuff. And Alex Spear of the Boston Globe said that he's heard from multiple sources the Sox have been in contact with Cora multiple times since Tuesday, which is the day that his suspension ended. Okay, The only wrench here is if Heimblum Wants to hire him. Heim Bloom is the chief baseball operator for the Red Sox. He did not hire Cora the first time. Everybody else in the organization likes Cora. The players like Cora. The ex- you know existing coaches, some of them are from Cora's staff who he hired. The front office loves Cora. Rafael Devers, Christian Vasquez, I've heard them talk about Cora and how much they like him and that they want him back. They're advocating for it. The only wrench here is if Haim Bloom doesn't want to hire Cora just because he wants to get his own guy. But would he ruffle feathers in the organization and not bring Cora back? I think this is going to trend towards Cora getting a job. By Monday, you will have some real momentum towards it. It is the Brady Farkas Show here on the uh, Friendly Pioneer, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, it's time for our Daily Dose of Doug Flutie, the former Heisman Trophy winner, the CFL Hall of Famer, and former Patriots quarterback. What's Doug got to say as we get ready for Pats and Bills? You'll find out next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV.
1: So Brady does a podcast with former Patriots quarterback Doug Flutie. Doug is a lot more famous than Brady. Flutie flushed, throws it down. Caught by Boston College! I don't believe it! Doug is a lot smarter than Brady.
3: So much in football is the guys surrounding you. Your success is dependent on the guys on
1: the field and that team. So let's listen to Doug. It's your daily dose of Doug on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com.
0: All right, everybody, welcome back in. Bertie can Show on a Friday right here on WDEV, AM, and FM, and WDEVRadio.com. Going up until 7 o'clock, getting you ready for all things NFL related. Also, have my take on what's happening with the Vermont Lake Monsters. That comes in about 15 minutes. Also, locally, want to congratulate the 2020 Chittenden County Vermont High School uh, Volleyball Championships. So, Essex won on the girls' side, CVU won on the boys' side. So, Essex on the girls' side. A sweep over Mount Mansfield, and CBU beat Essex on the boys' side, 3-1. So congratulations to those teams. State championships in the Chittenden County uh, region. Wacky fall season. Happy they were able to get it in. Outdoors and everything, but uh cold one, but a champion crowned nonetheless on both the boys' and girls' side. Moving to our daily dose of Doug. I was talking with Doug Flutie uh, two days ago. We taped our podcast. It came out today, actually, though, so we taped it. Actually, no, we taped it yesterday. It came out Today, so the podcast is called the Believe in Patriots podcast, B-L-E-A-V, B-L-E-A-V. I don't make the name. It's just on the Believe podcast network, so Doug and I have done a bunch of episodes now together, and we have a good rapport with each other, and we talked about his time with the Bills and what happened in Buffalo and how he was ultimately unseated by Rob Johnson, and it was crazy, and he told the full story. I'd never heard it before, so it was really interesting. Moving towards this matchup, though, I am concerned... Ordinarily about Cole Beasley. If the Patriots were playing the Bills and the weather wasn't going to be bad, I'd be most concerned about Cole Beasley in this game. Cole Beasley is a Julian Edelman clone. He looks like him on the field. He plays like him on the field. He wears number 11 like him on the field. He's short like him. The only difference is that Cole Beasley has long hair and Edelman has short hair. I think Cole Beasley, who's had 21 catches in the last three games for Buffalo, is a huge part of their offense. I don't know that he is a huge part of this game, given that the weather is talking about 50 mile an hour winds. I think Beasley's great on his own. Doug thinks Stefan Diggs being in Buffalo has opened up things for Beasley. Here's what he said about how Diggs has actually opened everything up for Beasley.
3: But if you don't have a guy like Diggs on the outside, it becomes a lot more difficult for that slot receiver. You can bracket the slot receiver on third downs. If, if, in nickel situations, you can you can basically bracket one guy on each side of the field. So who do you pick? Um, and and you've got to worry you got to have a safety going over the top. One digs or worrying about him, and it allows your other positions to get that one on one.
0: A couple things there. So when Doug and Doug talks at a very high level football. Acumen, right? High-level quarterback. Played quarterback for 30 years at various levels. And he's a Heisman Trophy winner and a CFL Hall of Famer and a Pro Bowler in the NFL also. And I believe a comeback player of the year in the NFL. So first things first, he says, if you didn't have an outside threat like Stephon Diggs, then you could really take away that that slot threat. That's what we're starting to see with Julian Edelman. Okay, I instantly thought of Edelman and his you know, really not doing anything. He said one game against Seattle that was really good, and otherwise he's been really nowhere to be found. Now, he's not going to play this week because of injury, so part of his struggle has been injury. That is true. Another part of it has been they don't have anything else to divert attention. Teams are able to key on him, and I'm sure that that is happening. Even when we said that Tom Brady didn't have a whole lot of weapons, well, he had Gronk. For a long time, Gronk was able to at least divert attention up in the middle of the field. It wasn't even outside, but there was things you had to key on for New England down the field, and Edelman was able to freely operate underneath. Last year with Brady, by just the sheer relationship that they had, they were able to finagle it to where Edelman still had 100 catches. Edelman was headed for nowhere near that if he played a whole season this year because he just doesn't have that relationship with Cam, and they don't have that big threat on the outside. So instantly, right there, I thought, well, Doug says, Stephon Diggs being in Buffalo has helped open up things for everything underneath, and Cole Beasley has been the benefactor of that. New England doesn't have that guy like Diggs, and therefore, Edelman hasn't really had any chances. Then I continued on with Doug about Beasley and and Diggs, and I thought, "The, the Bills... Are kind of a role model for the Patriots in this whole thing. Josh Allen was inconsistent. His rookie year, he was very inconsistent. So what they do in year two, they go out and they start upgrading. They start upgrading the offense. They bring in Devin Singletary via the draft. They go get a Cole Beasley. They go get a Speed uh, Brown, a speedy receiver. And then this year, they keep upgrading. They go sign. They go trade for Stephon Diggs. They draft this kid Moss from LSU. The team saw its window starting to open, and they went for it and attacked it. Now, why are they a a role model for the Patriots? Well, the reason is because they recognize, hey, our quarterback needs help. There are very few quarterbacks that can put everything on their back with minimal help. Russell Wilson doesn't have a whole lot of help as far as a defense, but they've given him good offensive players. DK Metcalf, who they drafted in the second round. Rashad Penny has been hurt, but they tried. And they've hit on some guys late like Chris Carson, and you know they've went and signed Greg Olson, and they've hit on Will Disley, a pretty good tight end. So he's done it. He's elevated around him, but there's still been some good players there that they've given him. Aaron Rodgers, with the exception of Devontae Adams, he's elevated those around him. But everybody else in the NFL gets help and is allowed to get help. The Patriots quarterbacks don't seem to be allowed to be given help, and that is the problem. Okay, The Bills saw, hey, we have a quarterback who has some talent, but we need to put him in positions to be successful, and we need to give him, give him things to make him successful. And so, again, Devin Singletary, Speedy running back. Moss, the running back from LSU. Cole Beasley security blanket, Stephon Diggs, big home run threat, Uh, Tyler Croft, Dalton Knox, a couple of tight ends who both can do good things. And they went out on defense, and while they haven't been as good this year, they spent on defense the last couple of years too, they said, look, we know we have a good, you know, an offense that can be good. Let's elevate the defense too. Boom, Micah Hyde. Boom, Tremaine Edmonds is a star. Tre'Davious White. Let's lock him up. He's a star. They're trying to do everything they can to take advantage of the AFC East opening. The Patriots should be heeding what they're doing and saying, "Hey, it's a we, we are allowed to help a quarterback. A quarterback will be elevated by what you put around him." And as I talked to Doug Flutie, I just thought to myself. The Patriots haven't done any of this stuff. When you look at Stephon Diggs, all that he's opened up for himself, he's one of the top receivers in the NFL. He's top five in in catches and yards. He's opened things up for the tight end group. He's opened things up for Cole Beasley. And now they have a complementary offense where you look at every group and you say, okay, this is an offense that is good. The quarterback just needs to navigate it. And the question remains if Josh Allen can competently do that. But the Patriots... They haven't even given Cam Newton or anybody else that chance because there's just nothing there. You're taking an average quarterback right now or below average quarterback and asking him to work with below average everything else for the most part with the exception of a couple of running backs who I do like. Moving on. And by the way, Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, told us about 40 minutes ago, wide receiver might be the second most important position in football. So... Wide receivers have some value, and that's why you see a guy like Diggs who's capable of opening up the Buffalo offense in the way that he is. I also had some fun with Flutie, because now he and I have done enough episodes together where we get to the point where we can have some fun together. So he wins the Heisman Trophy in the 80s. And I see these commercials all the time during college football games for the Nissan Heisman house. And they go film a commercial, and it's in this nice house, and all the Heisman Trophy guys are hanging out. And I asked Doug, I said, kind of jokingly, Doug, is there really a Heisman house? Is there really a place where the Heisman Trophy winners congregate? Here's what he told me. It was actually more interesting than I expected.
3: There were a few that I was involved with. And then the next
0: year, the year that... Oh, so hold on. Let me preface this. He said there is an actual house. They rent it every year to do the commercials. It's the same house every year. It's not something that somebody owns, but they do rent the same house every year for the commercials.
3: There were a few that I was involved with. And then the next year, the year that I was not involved... They did it. In George um, George Rogers is eating a bowl of fl- Flutie flakes, <laughs> and and the guys are like, "Those are twenty years old." And he looks at him, double take. Not Cape City. <laughs> so even though I wasn't there in person, I was there in spirit.
0: So Doug Flutie talks about when he missed a uh, missed one of the commercial shootings. They were eating Flutie flakes on it. So the Nissan Heisman House is a real thing. It is not necessarily just a Nissan. Marketing commercials. So that was our daily dose of Doug. Now let's move over to crazy Twitter takes for this Friday.
1: The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it?
3: Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true.
1: Where'd you hear that? The, the internet. internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas show right here on WDEVAM, FM, and WDEVRadio.com.
0: Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! All right, Colin Cowherd, national radio host at Fox Sports Radio, thinks that Bill Belichick orchestrated the Patriots being bad on purpose and that he convinced players to opt out so the team would be worse. Here is what Colin says. Here's what Bill Belichick is. Bill Belichick is too competitive to be bad like this for seven years. Bill Belichick is too smart not to understand how he's going to win again. That's the only two Bill Belichick is. Let eight guys opt out. That was so unbelichican. Yeah, spend time with your family. Don't worry about football. Spend time with your family. Eight players opted out. It's all part of a plan, and it's coming true. Look, it's not part of a plan. I love Colin. He is my he is my radio hero, right? He is my sports radio hero, a guy that I listen to every day, and a guy whose opinion I really respect. He's wrong in this case, and he's wrong in a big way. The Patriots saw players opt out who were set to make Millions of dollars. Okay, Dante Hightower was owed nearly $8 million, and he forfeited nearly all of that. Patrick Chung was set to make multi-million dollars, and he forfeited nearly all of it. NFL players love their money. People love their money. There's no way that Bill Belichick went to these players and said, look, forfeit $8 million just so we can be bad. And so we can get a higher draft pick. Because NFL players, they will play hurt for money. They will uh, go to bad teams for money because money matters. These guys didn't just opt out willingly and forfeit $8 million because Bill Belichick had a master plan for the Patriots' B-Bat. That is patently absurd. Also, I would highly doubt that Belichick convinced these players to opt out and that they willingly did it knowing that they can then, they're forfeiting their spot on the team potentially. Patrick Chung and Dante Hightower can now easily be cut. Because they opted out because of coronavirus, they can easily be cut at nearly no financial repercussion. So do you really believe that these guys willingly left as much as $8 million on the table in the case of Hightower and risked their roster spot, their standing in the organization, and potentially their career just so the patriots could get a couple of higher draft picks? No. Ask yourself, like ask yourself out loud. Does that make sense? Would a guy willingly let go of 8 million dollars or 2 million dollars or 4 million dollars and jeopardize his spot on the roster and jeopardize potentially his career by not playing for a full year as an aging player? Would they willingly jeopardize all that just so Bill Belichick's master plan of being awful can can come to fruition. It doesn't make any sense. Other guys who opted out, like fullback Danny Vitali, they might not get another chance ever in the NFL. Like that guy's not willingly opting out just to to facilitate the Patriots rebuild in a way that Bill Belichick wants. That guy might never get another chance in the NFL. He could have forfeited his his last good chance at being on an NFL roster. He didn't do that. Because Bill Belichick wanted him to or because Bill Belichick encouraged him to. those players opted out out of fear, out of uncertainty, out of prior health concerns like Marcus Cannon, who's a cancer survivor. they opted out out of family concerns like Patrick Chung and was was having a child. Dante Hightower was having his first child with his wife. Belichick look Belichick may like secretly where this team is at now he may be okay. Hey, we're 2-4, if we go to 2-5 and five and we're bad, we may get the number one pick in the draft. And we may get whatever quarterback we want for the future. He may, deep down, secretly be okay with how things have transpired. He may be alright with what has gone on and with how the Patriots have played and what it might set up for the future. What he didn't do is set it up in advance. What it is not is a preemptive strike to jumpstart a reboot. Those guys would not forfeit their money, would not forfeit their playing time, their status in the league, their job security, and their potential career in the NFL just to appease Bill Belichick's wishes. He might be happy with how it's all shaken out. He might be okay with it. He did not orchestrate it. And that's why Colin is on our crazy Twitter takes for the day. It's the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. And we come back, what are they saying? This one? Going to hit the heartstrings a bit. That's coming up next on the Brady Farkas Show.
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? The passing game was atrocious today. This passing game is in big time trouble. They really said
0: that? The Patriots, they're an average offense. If you cannot be explosive on offense, you cannot hang in the NFL.
1: It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com.
0: All right, welcome back. Final segment of our first week here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. If you have any questions, comments, criticisms, compliments, whatever, you can hit me up on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. In about six minutes, I'll give you my take on the Vermont Lake Monster situation. But who's saying what right here? No audio attached to this. And then I'll have some audio in a minute about it. Pete Abraham, uh, columnist, writer for the Boston Globe. New England has been blessed with 20-plus years of unprecedented success by our teams. But if you had to pick two athletes who personified the very best of who we are and what we could be, it would be Boston College's Pete Frady's and Boston University's Travis Roy. Uh, Pete Frates is the former Boston College baseball player who – did the who started the Ice Bucket Challenge for ALS and ultimately passed away. And Travis Roy, who we spoke a lot about yesterday, was the former college hockey player who 11 seconds into his first shift uh, became paralyzed and then spent the last 25 years in a wheelchair, paralyzed, battling for um, spinal cord research and creating funding for spinal cord research. He died in Vermont. He spent a lot of time in Vermont. And that tweet by Pete Abraham is so true. And the last 24 hours really makes you evaluate who your heroes are and who you say your heroes are. Because Pete's right, on the field and on the court and on the ice, there have been a lot of success in New England. Tom Brady, David Ortiz, Dustin Pedroia, Pedro Martinez, Julian Edelman, uh, Brad Marchand, Zdeno Chara, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce. I mean, it goes on and on with how good this area has been in sports. But there is, and I'm not into ranking you know, people who have had tragic circumstances, So I'm not going to put one of them, one or two, but Pete Frades and Travis Roy, they're right there with each other and they're ahead of the class. The money raised, the inspiration given, the lives touched. You saw it yesterday. The overwhelming flood of support for Travis Roy and his family in his passing was was just that. It was overwhelming in the best possible way. The Red Sox tweeted about Travis Roy. The Patriots or the uh, Celtics and Bruins uh, put out statements about Travis Roy. UVM put out a statement about about Travis Roy. He didn't go to UVM. His father did, but he didn't. And a lot of other New England colleges and universities and other places that had nothing to do with Travis Roy but just hearing him speak, they put out statements about Travis Roy. Governor Phil Scott today started his COVID-19 response news conference with a statement about Travis Roy. That's how deep his impact is. That's how deep his impact was and how deep his impact and legacy will be. That the governor of Vermont, the first thing he said at his COVID news conference was about Travis Roy.
1: Travis spent every moment since ensuring those 11 seconds to find an opportunity, not a tragedy. As a result, he changed the way his sport is taught. Through his efforts at places like Little Fenway and Essex, He's raised millions for spinal cord research and adaptive equipment. He shared his story and found his purpose in helping others find theirs. Red Sox, Bruins,
0: Celtics put out statements. Colleges put out statements. Universities, athletic departments put out statements. Politicians speak about him. ESPN 2 aired an E60 episode about his life yesterday. It's a loss that everyone's feeling and a loss that makes you reevaluate your heroes and Travis Roy, Pete Frates, as Pete Abraham said, certainly is a hero. The, the, the life was too short. The life was too hard individually for Travis Roy, but several other people's lives became easier because of the work he did and the money that he raised and the work that will continue to be done in his name. And Phil Scott continued on.
1: Travis said there are times when we choose our challenges And other times when our challenges simply choose us. It's what we do in the face of those challenges that defines who we are. And because Travis Roy was able
0: to uh, stand up metaphorically in the face of unbelievable adversity, he's always going to be remembered as someone who, who fought an unbelievable challenge and did it with class and grace and dignity. And you know he did that because of the amount of people that shared their thoughts and their condolences. So rest in peace to Travis Roy. I met him a couple of times. I interviewed him a couple of times. He always had a smile on his face, and he knew his life was hard, and he knew what he was going through was hard, but he knew he was going through it so that somebody else might not have to. And uh, that, to me, is just about the most commendable thing and the most admirable thing that you can do. Brady Farkas Show. Here on, the, here on WDEV Radio and WDEVradio.com, WDEV, AM, and FM. I'm going to get to closing thoughts right here.
1: Closing thoughts. Closing time, you don't have to go home,
0: but you can't stay here. All right, closing thoughts here on the Brady Farkas Show. Major League Baseball wants to make the New York Penn League a wood bat summer college league filled with rising college seniors. This would impact the Vermont Lake Monsters. This is a good idea. If the Vermont Lake Monsters are going to lose their professional affiliation and the New York Penn League is going to cease to exist, and look, it's for no reason other than greed and money, and that's in a separate barrel of thought over here, Major League Baseball being greedy. And Major League Baseball has lost a lot of money because of COVID, like everywhere has lost a lot of money, and they're looking to cut bait with some things. New York Penn League's one of them. If the New York Penn League is going to go away and the Lake Monsters can't be affiliated, it's a good idea to have a college league with rising seniors. Why seniors? Because rising seniors are pretty developed, right? And they're people who are generally pretty good. So the quality of baseball is going to be similar to what you see with the Lake Monsters. That is important. There are people who don't think that the quality of play matters, and I just shake my head at that. The quality of play absolutely matters. You can't just call a new team at Centennial Field in Burlington. You can't just call them the Lake Monsters and throw Champ out there and say it's the same thing, because it's not. After the first year, when the novelty wears off, it won't matter anymore. The diehard baseball fan wants to watch good baseball, so it can't be overly inferior. And I understand the diehard baseball fan is in the minority at the Lake Monsters games, but they're still there. But even to the average baseball fan, even to the casual baseball fan, they still like the idea of seeing someone with the potential to make it big. You like the idea of the unknown and a guy who has a chance for you to say, I saw him when, that matters. That's why the Cape Cod League is so, is so successful. It's the top summer baseball league in the country not just because Cape Cod is beautiful, not just because it's a vacation destination, because the play is so good. I saw the Hyannis Mets play when I was like 12 years old. And I can remember that Ryan Garko from Stanford was on that team. And Ryan Garko went on to play for the Cleveland Indians. And every time Ryan Garko came to bat, I thought to myself, I saw that guy win. That matters to people. Even average baseball fans, that matters, too. Even casual sports fans, you love the idea to think that you are seeing the next big star. So if these college seniors or rising seniors are coming to play in Burlington, they have to be draftable players. Okay? I, I don't want to see the bench player, you know, the, the middle reliever at a Division three school. I want to see a player who's playing at a big program who has a chance to be drafted. Okay, A lot of seniors get drafted in Major League Baseball. It's 40 rounds long. It might be 30, 20, whatever now. But there will be seniors who are drafted. And if they're coming from good places and t- places that you've heard of and places that have turned out Major League players, that will, that will play to the strength of everybody. That will make everybody happy who's going to those games. Look... It- <laughs> There's 100 youth teams across the country who are named the Lake Monsters. You aren't going to those games. There's high school games all over. You don't go to those games. Okay, It's got to be good baseball. It's not just having baseball. There are people that think if you just have baseball at Centennial Field, that will take care of itself. Have baseball, call them the Lake Monsters, and throw a champ out there and let's play. That's not going to bring in 3,000 fans tonight. It's got to be good baseball. Players with potential. And remember... The Lake Monsters are a huge national brand in minor league baseball. The marketing machine of Major League Baseball is huge for the Lake Monsters. The Lake Monsters are one of the top-selling merchandising teams in all of minor league baseball. Funny hat, goofy hat, but it matters that it's professional. People who collect, people who wear. It's like wearable art for people to wear a Lake Monsters hat. With Major League Baseball not behind them and less Major League money coming in and the marketing machine of Major League Baseball and the Oakland A's not being there and no affiliation, don't expect to see as many hats for sale, as many shirts for sale, or as much promotion, which stops some of the word-of-mouth stuff dead in its tracks. And if you're not going to have the marketing behind it all, you might only be left with the with the baseball on the field, and that's important. At the end of the day, if whether you're a diehard fan or a casual fan – the baseball still matters going there with mom or dad and connecting over the game and learning the game and having dad put his arm around you and explain what's happening that's important and it's more fun and it's easier to do when it's good baseball remember i play i play still men's league baseball green mountain men's league we get less than 10 fans why baseball's not that great high school games all over baseball's not b- baseball isn't as great not as many fans College baseball in the area, UVM, we all want the program back. People stopped going. Too cold, you're not seeing as many pro players. Norwich has a baseball team. Linden has a baseball team. You're not going to those games. Why? Because you don't think the baseball is as good. The baseball matters, and it matters to everybody in some way. You can't just say there's baseball and throw it out there and call them the Lake Monsters and think it's going to be okay because it's not. I like the idea of having a high-level college summer league. You call them the Lake Monsters, and you put Champ out there, and that all helps. But the players, if they have a chance to be drafted, and if they're coming from good places that you have heard of, reputable programs, and you can go to a game and get an affordable hot dog and take a picture with Champ and think that you have a chance to see the next big star or a guy who's going to make the majors, that makes all the difference in the world. It's not just about baseball. It's about good baseball, and hopefully we have it at Centennial Field moving forward. First week in the books, the Brady Farkas Show. I appreciate everybody. If you want to continue to reach out, you can. WDEV Radio Brady. It's been a lot of fun. We'll do it again next week. We'll be back on Monday. Evan Washburn of CBS is going to join us to talk about Patriots and Bills. We'll dissect the game. We'll take a look at my locks and tell you how I did. And uh, full podcast is available at Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Have a great weekend, everybody. Happy Halloween. We'll see you then.